0: Hi everyone, and welcome to a new series of Risk and Regulation Rundown, the podcast where we share our views and insights on hot topics in financial services, risk and regulation. I'm Tessa Norman. I'm part of PwC's Financial Services Regulatory Insights team, and I'm your new regular host for this podcast. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Andrew Strange for his great work in hosting previous series of the podcast, and I expect we'll have him back on as a guest in some future episodes so we will continue to benefit from his expertise. For the first episode of this series, we're going to be talking about the topic of governance, which is particularly pertinent at the moment for a number of reasons. So, whilst governance has long been an important pillar of the regulatory regime, it's becoming increasingly pervasive to the FCA's approach in the current economic and risk environment. And it's also an area where we're seeing various strands of policy change. So, the regulators are currently reviewing potential changes to the senior managers and certification regime, known as SMNCR. There's of course a very busy ESG agenda and as part of that the FCA is looking at some potential changes to sustainability related governance. And we've also got the incoming consumer duty, which is going to have a major impact on firms which serve retail customers and there's a significant focus on governance as part of that. So to help us navigate all of this, I'm delighted to be joined by two guests who are expertly placed to help us and to understand how these various pieces of the puzzle fit together and how firms should be responding. So, I'm joined by David Croker, who's the leader of our asset and wealth management risk and regulatory business and a partner in our sustainability practice, and Harry Howe, who's a director in our banking team. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks very much, Tessa. Really pleased to be here. Thanks, Tessa.
0: So David, do you want to kick us off by giving a bit of context as to why we're seeing such a focus on governance at the moment, thinking about this both from a policy and a supervisory perspective?
1: Yeah, of course. Thanks, Tessa. And I think what's really important to sort of flag, and I think you mentioned it in your opening remarks there, is that governance has always been a focus of regulators. I think even if I think back to my time at the FSA as was, which sort of goes back 12, 13 years. All of the supervisory work we were doing at the time had a sort of element of looking at the governance arrangements that firms had in place. So whilst it isn't new, I think things like the introduction of the SMCR in 2016 have sort of almost shone more of a light on personal accountability and and almost tried to improve standards further and further. Um, The other interesting angle, I think, is the, the growth of ESG. So clearly we're seeing an awful lot of focus on ESG amongst financial institutions at the moment. And we're starting to see regulators catch up with that. And thinking about actually what does that mean in terms of how organisations run and govern themselves and what does it mean from an accountability perspective and I think that's for them at a corporate level but also thinking about how they then translate what they do for their clients, what they do with their investee companies for example and how that then reflects on what they're doing at an organisational level as well. Um, You mentioned some in-train policy initiatives from, from the FCA, I think probably the most important one at the moment is the FCA's discussion paper on governance around sustainability and what that means for financial services organisations going forwards. And certainly the the sort of feedback we've had from the FCA is that's designed to be the starting point of a conversation to get financial services organisations to think about what ESG means in terms of how they need to do things slightly differently, be that from a product perspective, be it from how the board oversees the challenge that sustainability brings, one of the key ones being data reporting and MI, which is something that those organisations will really need to, to focus on thinking about. But also if you think about some of those broader concepts around remuneration, diversity of thought and challenge, actually they're not ESG specific topics. They're all topics that the FCA is thinking about that actually you could could point towards anything that had a governance lens on it, and they would just play to better quality information to drive better quality decision-making for organizations. The other piece I'd I'd perhaps sort of highlight is if you think about the the section 166 and skilled person reviews that the FCA and the PRA both sort of undertake, if you look at those requirement notices over a number of years, there's almost a standing agenda item in all of them that is to consider how governance has driven the failure or the the issue that the FCA or the PRA would like us to consider. Um, I think that chimes through with with what we continually hear from regulators is that when they look at failings of firms or operational incidents or risks that crystallize, they always look to the governance failings that play to that point. You're seeing letters come through from regulators explicitly asking firms, who's the senior manager responsible for that failure or that part of the business where we've seen an issue and then wanting to explore what's gone wrong and often actually comes down to the the oversight arrangements that the organisation had in place.
0: Great, thank you. It's a really helpful overview and just sort of shows how many different strands there are to this. And one of the other sort of in-train policy initiatives um, that we wanted to cover is the ongoing view of the SMNCR, which was announced as part of the government's Edinburgh reforms and government and regulators recently kind of kicked off that review. Harry, do you want to kind of talk us through that review and sort of why this is something government and regulators are looking at and, and where we think that review might end up?
2: thanks tessa and uh, as you said you're referring to the the 30 plus measures that came out of the the december 22 um, edinburgh reforms so currently there's a there's a call for evidence that's been um that's been published by uh, hmt and a discussion paper 123 um due to close at the end of june 2023 um so i think the, the first thing to say off that is that I, I don't think the suggestion is necessarily that smcr hasn't worked i think there's there's a a view that everyone is brought into, align to the principles given everything um we went through in the last financial crisis i think uh, there's an acknowledgement that it's gone a long way towards sharpening focus on outcomes conduct and behaviors as part of that and so has been effective to some extent um this is being badged as an opportunity to review the the scope proportionality and effectiveness of the regime uh, and possible areas in which it might be improved and so I'd summarise, and I probably wouldn't do it justice. The drivers, uh, the drivers to those um, uh, to the, the call for evidence and, and discussion paper, I just set out as um, delays in approvals, so approval of, of SMFs, so senior management functions in their roles. Um, possibly the bigger issue is, is scope creep and proliferation in terms of expectations of SMFs, um, particularly in light of emerging risks and in interaction with other regulatory regimes. So. Um, if we haven't mentioned already, we'll, we'll talk about new consumer duty, operational resilience, diversity, and inclusion. I'll, I'll come, up, come on to some other specifics um, shortly, but also questions around the breadth of the certification regime and information, frequency of information to be provided under that. So those just that's just a flavour of a few of the drivers behind that. In terms of the changes that might come out of that, I might uh, reserve the right to comment on that, but say the devil will be in the detail as and when that date comes and goes at the end of June 2023. What I would say is, um, I'd caution, say so I'd expect um, evolution rather than revolution on, on that front. So I would expect to see some tweaks and changes to that uh, as part of those uh, those potential reforms.
0: Yeah, and I'd, I'd agree with <clears throat> you there. I think we're unlikely nice. to see a sort of wholesale change to the regime, but there's likely to be some some tweaks. And I think that sort of um, that scope piece and how it's gradually changed over time, especially as the ex- uh, regulators have expanded their remit, it's, it's a really interesting angle to this. And you mentioned consumer duty as, as, as part of that. And um, David, it'd be great to get your thoughts on sort of the, the consumer duty and how we're seeing that impact firms approaches to governance and um, the duties coming into force um, in July 2023. So how are firms starting to think about governance in relation to that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think first, I think that the consumer duties are represents a significant shift in the way that the FCA particularly is looking to regulate um, financial services organisations. Um, and I think given it's the first big piece of post Brexit FCA created regulation, actually, it's going to be something that they're going to look at with a level of scrutiny, I think, that we haven't seen for some of the other major regulatory regimes that have been introduced. But, I think when you think about what it actually means for firms and that shift away from not necessarily just having to evidence that you're not delivering poor outcomes to your clients, but actually needing to be able to evidence that you're delivering good outcomes for investors is a monumental shift in terms of what those firms are going to need to be able to pull together to evidence that that's the case. And I think that probably the key challenge that we're seeing our clients face is the data and the MI that's going to need to be created and produced internally to allow you on an ongoing basis to evidence that and to get a board and a relevant committee comfortable that that's the case. Um, we've heard from regulators they're expecting the, the duty to be embedded across all of the governance, the culture of an organisation and again I think we're starting to see firms recognise the level of work that's needed not just to sort of meet the July deadline, but to embed this on a, an ongoing basis and I think One of the things that will be interesting is there will be organisations there who perhaps place too much confidence in legacy processes to get them over the line, but haven't naturally thought about how you future-proof this and how you ensure that your organisation is ready on an ongoing basis to demonstrate compliance. So I think that the sort of overarching message is it's a a significant shift and I think it will require our, our clients to think quite differently around how they govern themselves.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think those those issues around MI and data definitely go beyond consumer duty and into lots of other areas that firms are grappling with as well. Um, so what are some of the other sort of challenges and, and, and issues that firms are facing and, and that the regulator is trying to address with some of the um, governance plans that it's looking at?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you if you look at again sort of pulling together some of those themes that we've seen come through both section one six six notes is some of the the challenge that we know that firms are, are being given by the regulation some of the conversations that we're having directly with the regulator that I guess you can point to a few key themes that continually sort of flow through the FCA's concerns around governance I think one of those is around actually overseas parents and actually ensuring that those overseas parents when thinking about how to structure UK operations are fully cognizant of UK regulatory expectations and also UK sort of governance standards, which isn't always the case. I think in a lot of cases, firms do that really well. But there are instances there where actually there's watered down governance in the UK because a lot of the decision making happens overseas, which we know regulators here in the UK aren't big fans of. I think increasingly we're seeing sort of challenge around um, the quality of debate that occurs at UK board level. so looking at whether there are dominant characters that sit on boards, whether all sort of topics are getting equal air time for discussion, because again, I think we continue to see firms rightly very focused on financial performance, but perhaps, and especially in the, the sort of current economic climate, but perhaps less focused on some of those risk and regulatory issues that we know that regulators would like to see firms thinking about and actually can lead to better quality decision making as you look forward. Um, and I think it's sort of all underpinned by other boards seeing the right information we Continue to see boards being given board packs that are seven, eight, nine hundred pages long, three days before a board meeting, where they can't possibly digest the information within that pack to make meaningful or to have a meaningful debate, meaningful discussion, um, and to make well informed, educated decisions. Um, so, we continue to see that as being a, a sort of key challenge coming through the regulator in terms of challenging firms on what are you showing people and why are you showing them it, and actually, what are the key sort of decisions that you want to see coming out of that. So, quality of debate quality of MI I think really important as you think about some of the governance sort of issues the regulators trying to address.
0: Yeah absolutely and, and Harry I know that you support um, many firms with the authorisation process, what, are there any sort of challenges that you see particularly thinking about those prospective and, and newly authorised firms that, that you'd add to the points that David's made?
2: Thanks Tessa and I, I think it's fair to say there's probably, a, a, you could probably write a, a, a long paper or a book on this subject I think, I um, see David nodding there but <laughs> I think uh, uh, and before we actually even talk about the prospective and applicant firms, it's worth just considering the challenges in, in the governance and, and senior manager space for, for existing firms and just remembering that there were 47,000 firms added to the senior manager's regime in December 2019, so they're all still very much bedding down um, with, with just what it's like to be an SMCR firm uh, as part of that, so that's a very recent change. Um, I touched earlier upon the, the the way they're trying to grapple with um, the, the interaction between senior manager's regime and different... Uh, regulatory regimes that have come in, including consumer duty, operational resilience, climate change, the themes that David spoke to. I'd also note um, in supervisory statement 521, just as an example, the interaction between governance and booking model, just again, as an example of actually how does that work in terms of responsibility? So how can one individual in the UK be responsible for a multifaceted uh, booking network? David touched upon the interaction of, um, of, of group and overseas parents, and how does that work in terms of touch points, not just in terms of senior managers' regime, but also from a governance perspective. Um, and the, I think that the final point I note is is actually really, made, perhaps historically, governance just meant, let's just set up a committee. Uh, and, and similarly, that almost slipped into a case of, let's, just, uh, let's allocate an SMF or a senior manager to do that. And actually, we all know that the, the real thrust of it go, goes beyond that. Obviously, that's a starting point and a first step, but actually, how do you go about embedding that within that individual's reasonable steps, and actually what's the split of accountability between that individual and the contract with the other senior managers and uh, key employees within the firm. Um, so, so circling back to the authorization process, obviously those challenges still exist for prospective firms in terms of trying to get the balance right with those, um, with those regulatory expectations. But I think the greatest challenge we certainly see in the firms we work with is around just in- recruiting the right individuals um, given given regulatory expectations um, again if you look at recent market events it we could just see the importance of having the right individuals in place to challenge uh, the business model the risk management framework the uh, uh, and, and the funding models etc um, that, that sit under that i mean as, as you move as I, as i move through my thoughts i think um, it's also key to have a proportionate and effective governance uh, framework again it's not just about having a a committee to cover everything off otherwise people's diaries just look like are just formed of committees as part of that and I think two other um, points I'd note just to bring it to life are around the FCA recently published their business plan Um, end end of Q1 2023 correct me if I'm wrong I might be out by a month or two you'll see in that there's a real key focus on for prospective firms uh, financial resilience and financial forecasting which again obviously that that is a key part of uh, the governance framework and actually the, the overlay and oversight of that uh, and also a focus on the monitoring of higher risk business models for, again, for prospective applicant firms. So that's obviously a key part um, in terms of senior management and governance oversight of business models and, and strategy going forward. And, and again, you'll see that's, that's carried out and played out in the fastest growing firms FCA thematic uh, around um, the importance of governance, particularly of the in, in the capital adequacy, capital management, uh, ICAP's, well, what was ICAP? ACARA, SREP uh, process as part of that. And and look, jumping across sectors, if you look at the PRA's um, Supervisory Statement 321, expectations of new banks, you can really see uh, how their expectations evolve in terms of, comp- even from composition of board, but in terms of how you go about what their expectations are of risk management, stress testing, capital management, uh, so on and so on. You can see the various Themes that underpin and and sit under governance there. So there's a lot to, there's a lot to grapple with for for prospective firms as well as ongoing firms.
1: And H- Harry, just to pick up on your point there about the the right individuals <coughs> on the board, uh, I think that's a really important sort of point. And I think increasingly, I think our clients are finding it difficult mm. to find the right individuals with the right skills, recognising the need for diversity of thought, mm. diversity of challenge, but equally a regulator that's very focused on solo entity governance and wanting to make sure that the people overseeing those activities have the right skills in place to, to deliver those. And I think particularly when you think about the non-executive aspect and the independence of the challenge, mm-hmm. there is a finite pool of skilled people to mm-hmm. fill those roles for a, a very large population of regulated yeah. firms, as you as you highlighted. Mm-hmm. So a really interesting challenge, I think, for our clients.
2: It's a question that comes up from our clients all the time. It's, does, this, does this individual need to have this experience to do it? And there's an element of chicken and egg. So it's, it's a really interesting one to grapple with.
0: Absolutely. And, and you also touched on really well there, Harry, that all, all the different um, aspects of this and, and how that fits together. Um, I mean, th- David, how, what are your reflections on on how the sort of related policy and supervisory initiatives that, that we've covered fit together? And how should firms be kind of thinking about that and making the right links between them?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think with all these things, and it's a message that I continually give to my clients, is is not to think about individual sort of supervisory processes or individual pieces of regulation in isolation. I think with all of these things, I think we've touched a lot around how governance permeates everything that a firm might Mm do. Actually taking a step back and thinking strategically around how do you put in place the governance that works for your Mm organisation, that addresses those various supervisory focus areas, I think is the most important thing for our clients to do. Um, And there's various aspects to that, right? We spent a lot of time talking about data, MI reporting, but actually governance can be hugely improved by getting the right decision oriented, actionable management information that really quickly brings key sort of data points to to the board or the committee's attention to allow them to make educated decisions. And that's not ESG specific, it's not risk specific, actually that happens across the board. I think if you then think about, I sort of put my ESG hat on my sustainability hat, there are so many new regulatory regimes coming through, so many new pieces of regulation, so many reporting requirements. Again, you kind of need to get the data, the MI, the reporting In a place that the board can quite quickly look at it can quite quickly understand it but have got comfort in the underlying processes that you know that there's some integrity behind what the board is being presented because they can't possibly look at absolutely everything but they need to know that processes are in place controls are in place those controls are working to mitigate the risks that the the, um, business has identified for itself so lots of challenge but i think what's been perhaps most pleasing is you start to sort of interact with the fca on some of these topics they recognise some of those challenges and I think they're encouraging firms to think slightly more strategically around how they want to govern themselves to deliver the right outcomes for their investors, their customers, so bringing it back to that sort of consumer duty lens of almost how do you do this? We're not going to be prescriptive, we're not going to tell you this is what good governance looks like, but actually a firm can determine what good governance looks like in the context of its own operations.
0: Absolutely, which is all part of that sort of shift towards a more outcomes-based approach to regulation, which I think gives firms that greater flexibility, but then there's challenges that that come with that as well. Um, And as as well as firms sort of keeping on top of that fast-moving regulatory agenda, we're also, of course, seeing lots of market changes in terms of tech changes and and, and elsewhere. How are we seeing sort of firms... um, adapt their governance practices to sort of changing business models and and, and how can firms make sure that their sort of governance practices and processes are are fit for the future?
1: Yeah I think to be honest that firms probably haven't evolved their practices quite as quick as they might have done given the the nature of the changing environment but I think if if I sort of put my asset management hat on and, and the recent FCA discussion paper on the future of asset management there's a number of things that are sort of propose there as as opportunities or options for the sector to drive doing things differently. They include completely sort of different approaches to products. They're so thinking about utilising blockchain and, and tokenizing asset management products. Clearly the skill set, the nature of oversight needs to look very different in a world where you're leveraging new technologies, you're not you're moving away from that traditional fund structure. Um, And it will need different skills. It will need the board to get more engaged in some of those pieces. It will need a much bigger focus on product governance, product development, ongoing product suitability, those types of aspects that um, happen today, but perhaps not quite as a granular level. Um, You've got different ways to deliver information to customers. Some of that will be sort of picked up in the consumer duty piece. But again, there's a huge tech data automation angle to all of that. And I think a lot of financial services boards have some aspect of IT and technology sitting on them but I think increasingly it's going to become a really important skill for all board members to really get their heads around digital automation technology to enable them to demonstrate really effective oversight of the businesses.
0: And Harry is there anything that you'd add to that in terms of what you see among your clients and how their business models are changing?
1: Thank,
2: thanks Tess, yeah and I, I think just just to echo everything that, that, that David said but really um, I think the point's that one point that I scribbled down is this word comes up and you see it in various aspects of regulatory documentation and publication which is the fact that your governance arrangements have to be commensurate to the, the business and, and you have to scale up accordingly so it, it, in some ways it's, it's beyond even just fighting uh, the last decade's battles it's a case of actually your business has grown uh, the risk profile has evolved and you haven't scaled up or recognized that as part that's so that's the first thing i'd say um I, I i think the other point i'd make and this is linked to that is again looking forward so there's the need for you as a Board and executive to regularly assess your business model your strategy uh, and the associated risk profile that comes with that and assessing the skill set required at board next level so that's something that would sit very much with the with the chair uh, in, in terms of what we, what we'd see so really just thinking about what are the skills what's the skill set you're going to need to manage for the risks that are coming through the pipeline obviously we all talk about horizon scanning but it's it's almost horizon scanning plus you know actually what do we need from a governance perspective and david Touched upon, you know, the digital and tech angle. I know that was an area that a lot of firms were looking to recruit for, um, again at board and executive level, and that's a skill set that that's sort of in, in demand but hard to come by. Um, so really, just making that regular assessment and not just not taking a static uh, approach to your the way your your governance framework is is composed. Um, and I think it would be remiss of me not to talk about consu- new, cons- new consumer duty um, as part of that. And again, uh, a lot of our clients are at work. If you speak to anyone they would say of course our customers at the heart and center of our of our of our business model but actually the burden of proof is on you to prove that to the fca as part of that under 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 the new regime so whilst it may be obvious to you and everyone may be bought in from the the firm's side it's actually a case of ensuring that you can articulate that fully to, to the fca so just ensuring that they are they really genuinely are at heart and center of the business model and strategy and that you're able to clearly demonstrate that
0: Great. Thank you very much to both of you. That's been a really fascinating discussion. It's been great to hear sort of how pervasive this issue is and and also how all of those challenges are evolving from um, skills to technology to, um, to consumer outcomes. It's been brilliant. Thank you very much. And to our listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation and thank you for listening. As always, please subscribe to future episodes and rate and review this series as it helps other listeners to find us. If you'd like to hear more from us on risk and regulation, please look out for our regular publications on our website, which we'll link to in the show notes. And we'll be back next month with our next episode.